This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand brands and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and doing excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, enjoy. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. Hello everyone, great to have you back with us. If you're new to this podcast, welcome and I hope you stay with us as we embark on this digital transformation journey together. My name is Audrey Naidu and I'm your host for today. A marketer's goal is to create a personalized, memorable experience that builds memory structures and engages each individual through their interests, passions or challenges. Doing so isn't a data versus creativity conundrum. Rather, it's a data plus creativity solution. So stop guessing whether your efforts mean something to potential customers and start measuring. Then take your measurements and search for the human meaning and behind the numbers, testing, creating and measuring some more until you get a gold standard for driving connected engagement. The growing importance of data is being accused of stifling creativity as more decisions are made on the basis of numbers and insight rather than allowing original ideas to flow freely. The discussion today will cover whether data stifled creativity or enhances it. My guest on the podcast is no stranger to you. Antonio Petra has been in the digital and marketing environment for over 20 years and he's a specialist in strategy, marketing, analytics and measurement. He's recognized as an industry expert both locally and internationally in this field. How's it Antonio? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. I know you and I have discussed you coming on the show for quite some time now. And then COVID I'm the elusive over. guest. <laughs> you, the, you are the elusive guest. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, Antonio, I think before we start, we always ask our guest to, to tell a joke. I, I'm, I'm so <laughs> bad at telling jokes. Like literally like the worst human being on the planet <laughs> telling jokes. Um, so so I, I, have to, I have to skip that. that I can't count that as my joke, but I'm, I'm really bad at it. Okay, so. no, just kidding. Put you on a spot there. <laughs> so in terms of you being at FCB, and have you always been in the agency world? No, um, you know, throughout my career, I've kind of moved within the ambit of marketing, but um, from agencies, I mean, I started off, as a design and agency side, but I started at a time like when, um, you know, web websites and digi digital was really becoming like a public thing. So I kind of, my career has kind of grown up with the internet and grown up with social media. And I was kind of there at the start and had the privilege of working on those things in the beginning. But, um, you know, throughout my career, what I've done is I've worked in agency, but then that's naturally pulled me into business. And then I've been, you know, pulled back into advertising so i would say probably i was probably spent about 
um, a good sort of 80% of my career in agency, but I've had a very good experience of consulting and also of the client side as well, both locally and internationally. Yeah, when I read out your title, GE Strategy Data and Insight at FCB Johannesburg, I had to ask you what GE stood for. Yeah, that's general executive. It's kind of an American term, but I mean, it's head of essentially, or the you know the ex government in charge of it. So I thought general executive. Yeah, you jack of all trades there at FCB. Yeah, basically, in terms of digital, like that's the funny thing about my title is it's like actually it's it's an accumulation of 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 experience over the years. You know, so I started off with very much a creative focus, but that was quite short lived, um, and then went into strategy. And sort of stuck with strategy, but along the way, like in the in the early two thousand, started working with data more. Um, obviously, insights is the natural kind of, well, hopefully, the natural evolution of strategy and data. <laughs> but uh, you know, so that's, and then there's also all the kind of digital marketing experience that you pick up along the way. Yes. So, which brings us to our topic at hand today: the intersection between data and creative effectiveness in digital marketing, marrying logic and magic, which pushes creative beyond the noise. What are your thoughts on this? So, this is kind of like the crux of what we do, right? It's the it's the toughest part of what we do, is trying to get data into a format that is digestible and usable to creatives. And it's a constant struggle, right? Because it depends on the creative mind that you, you're working with, the creative person you're working with. I've worked with creatives who kind of get it right away. And then there's other creatives who see it as kind of an, a disruption to their process. So it's quite an organic, um, it's an organic thing, really. You know, I mean, what we've got to do on the data side is we've got to analyze the campaigns and we do that you know, we do post-campaign reports or campaign reports as we go along and we pull out really relevant pieces of data and we kind of split it into two sets. We've got the one set, which is stuff that's actionable right now and stuff that we've got to change right now. And then we also build up kind of an archive of stuff that works or trends that we see emerging. And then what we do is we do, we do two things. We basically discuss it with the creative, um, but then we also almost like walk alongside the work while it's being created to just make sure that that stuff is being implemented and that best practice is being pushed into it. In terms of cut through creative, you know, I think the the most important thing there is actually creative freedom. It's, it's creative freedom and an awareness of the context, right? So we have to give the creatives a real awareness of the context and how far they can push things and how much they can play um, before it becomes damaging to the work. And you can see that in the data. But essentially, it's kind of creating some, it's creating a playground for them. That's what it is. And telling them where the boundaries are and, you know, what the best things to use on the playground are. And that's that's kind of what, what you do from that point of view. I find, to be honest with you, there, there, is, no, there is no grand formula for cut-through creative. You've really got to give creative space and time to come up with those creative ideas that will cut through in the market. Um, and there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes into that. I mean, it's understanding what the competitors are doing, all that kind of thing. But I don't think we, we can go into that now because we don't really have time. Yes, so you mentioned the organic transition of creative. Um, 
I think it's important for us to pause and understand how has creative and digital evolved over recent years that's now led to this place that we at now. Well, I mean, you know, the the problem is, I think we we you know, I would I would say about five years ago we started to transition into a new era of of creative, which is is automation, creative and automation, right? And we're seeing we're seeing like the first signs of that now. I mean, Google Display and 360 is an example of that, where the automation demands variable creative. Um, and what's happening is that this is a it's an uneasy transformation for creatives. There's a it takes a very unique kind of creative mind to to understand how variable content works and how to incorpor- incorporate it into into like programmatic. Um, the reality is it's not what creatives actually want to be doing. They, they don't want to be sitting there working out a bunch of math formulas. So as a strategist or a data person, you've got to do that for them. I think the, the, the negative thing, right, is that there's, there is kind of a, a creative is not, the value of creative is actually not really the, that widely understood. And you need to give creatives the time and space to do what they, they have to do. But at the same time, it's also creatives aren't really like they aren't really adept at switching into this programmatic and variable marketing um, area. So what we're finding is we are having challenges there. Um, and it's 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 we've we've tried a lot of things. I mean, the training is helping, and and actually pulling in people who are in other kinds of roles like DTP and things like that do help with the creation of variable content. But I think what I find kind of distressing is the the fact that there's so much pressure being put on creatives to think in a way that they kind of didn't sign up for right and that's that's a that's a bit of a problem and that's something that we're experiencing i'm not saying it's insurmountable i think we're finding ways around it and we're finding ways to do it as we evolve though this is just going to increase the need for variable content and i think What's super interesting to me at the moment is the way that this stuff has been embedded into is being being embedded into tools like the Adobe suites and things like that are starting to embed more and more AI stuff and the ability to do variable content and making that easier for creatives to do. And I think we'll see a new generation of creatives coming up who understand how to use that stuff. But the truth is, I think when you look really, you know, look far like far into the future, and we're talking like, you know, 10 years from now, the need for variable content is actually going to it's it's actually going to almost fall out of the capability of, of of human beings if you think about your kind of you know blade runner 2020 the advertising you see in that kind of movie or any of those kind of sci-fi movies which is kind of sets the expectation of what advertising will look like where you have interactive advertising you have avatars talking to people or you have things morphing themselves into people's needs based on their emotions or whatever there is no creative in the world who can create all those variable scenarios. Mm. So as we move forward, we're going to have to lean more heavily on artificial intelligence and automation and, and, and in order to fulfill the needs of advertising. Creatives really, their role will become more of a director role. You know, so like I said, this new generation of creatives that hasn't really come, you know, I don't see yet, will need to evolve with an understand real deep understanding, intuitive understanding of the technologies available to them to, to create for these areas. So you are going to see a, an infusion of human and machine that will actually direct creative in the future. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, yeah, you will. You will see a combination of that. Because you see that the interesting thing though is that, you know, people talk about AI or machine learning having the ability to create, do creative. And it can on a very rudimentary level. Like until now, like what all we've seen really is that, you know, com- computers and, and the evidence shows like is showing that the computers for the next couple of years, all they can do really is take the stuff people have already seen and sort of recombine it into a new version of that thing. So the example I always use, because I, I study fine arts, is that computers can come up with a, a, new, a, a new impressionist painting, but they can't come up with a new art movement. They can't invent something completely new. That's, I mean, they can, but it's often so bizarre and unpalatable. So what you do need, the one thing that they can't do, in short, what I'm saying is, is actually original, pure creativity. And that we're going to have to lean on creators for. It's going to become a very valuable commodity that we lean on creators for, but we're going to have to combine it with machine learning, as you say, that kind of merger of the two things so that we can amplify it. Exactly. So, I, you know, just to summarize two things that really stood out for me from what you said is, one, um, I think this is an industry-wide challenge that... Uh, and I'm not only talking about creative people, I'm talking about media, creative marketers in understanding the complexity of digital marketing. I'm not sure if you've been exposed to the Gartner uh, digital marketing transit map, but it gives Mm -hmm. you a really good perspective of how complex this environment is. And you can't expect people who's been in the industry for so long to make that transition overnight. So it is going to take some time. It's a journey and it's going to evolve over time. But what it does say to me is that we have an urgent need to address skill set. And I think more emphasis needs to go into building the right competency level in the industry across the board. Because I always say from a creative perspective, what you get fed is what you will dish out. So this is the outcome of what the creative is going to look like. It's your briefing process. And like you said, it is what type of data insights get actually injected into that process. So uh, it is a process issue right now is how do you actually amend and evolve the process to actually feed into a new era of creativity as we move along the lines? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's actually a multifaceted problem. Like on the one hand, I think that the complexity, um, so I agree with you on the, on the, you know, there's, there is kind of a problem around understanding these things and the training in the industry a hundred percent. And I think, what I keep on saying to clients, like, um, and I've been saying it, you know, since last last year, I've been kind of presenting to clients and saying to them, listen, we can use data to figure out what works for your brand. So why don't we simplify what you're doing down to what works and dedicate a small portion of that to innovation to, to kind of regain control over that media world? Because it feels like we're losing, like people are losing control, okay? And uh, the problem is... <clears throat> To get to that stage, you really need to have a fundamental understanding of media. You need to understand the data and all those things. So it's like if you if you put a junior person or a person without experience in that position, it's just going to be overwhelming and they're not going to understand how to get to that point where they can they can focus on what's really working. So that's the that's the one part of it, right? Then we do have problems across the entire production chain. Um, 
all the way from the way the work is briefed in um, to the way that it's built. So the way that it's briefed in, it's it's not briefed in with the full information and the and you know from the media side often doesn't come with the full information, doesn't come with insights that you can use to leverage stuff. So there's a problem there. So the creatives get a brief essentially, which is a checklist of placements. Then on their side, they just see a checklist of thousands of placements because you know it's programmatic, right? So they start to create in the old world way that they did, which is just create every single element or at best some variability. So they're not leveraging the tools properly. And there's a, there's a problem in that. Then you've got the approval of all of that stuff, which is, is becomes really hard to do because you know, you've now got a marketing manager who's just got literally hundreds of pieces of work flying at them. Okay, so they're counting on agency QA processes to make sure that work is great, but now they're overwhelmed. So, I mean, I think actually, you know, we talk about automation, the agency, and we most often we focus on the creative process and things like that. I actually think automation is probably going to help us most on the production side um, in terms of the workflow, sorry, workflow production side. And I've seen some really promising stuff like that in the industry uh, recently where, you know, we're automating the full uh, process flow and also in automating the process flow, kind of embedding certain rituals and practices as well that will push people towards better briefing, you know, kind of better insights in that briefing process, push them towards using better production tools and basically building the rituals we need to deliver on these kind of the, the pace of these new media channels. I completely agree with you. I mean, we discussed this, that there is a trend in, in the industry that big brands like Vodacom, Apsa are also moving into automation in the campaign um, cycle. I think that will also aid in what uh, both the media and creative agency gets in terms of a brief with more insights, more data included. Hopefully the learnings from past historical uh, campaigns also get fed into this um, automation tool. So um, we are going to see a change in the next year or so in terms of uh, efficiency, in terms of the value change. This topic is getting heated. Let's cool off with a quick break. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. Welcome back. Let's keep this conversation going. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I mean, what's driving it at the moment is is the economy, right? I mean, it's like we, the agencies, I mean, for a long time, we've been, we really have been trying to become more efficient. But, you know, like I said this to you the other day as well, it's like, you know, we, our economy has been in kind of a steady decline, but COVID um put like a little bit of a rapid descent on that. And, and uh, we're now in a situation where our, our like kind of the pool, the, the part of the economy that supports marketing has shrunk and there is less space for agencies to breathe and they need to find innovative ways of producing work. And also, I mean, I know businesses as well are under the crunch, so they don't have as much marketing money. So we're all under pressure to find more efficient ways to produce work. And efficiency is not just... It's not just about getting the workout faster, right? It's about getting the workout faster, but it's got to be, it's also got to be cut through work. It's got to be able to stand out. And it's also got to be, 
have as low air, uh, kind of low an error margin as possible, so maybe as few mistakes as possible. And that's where automation really starts to help um, on that front. Um, gets it out more efficiently and it gets it out with less error, which is, is what we need. Do you think there's resistance also from a creative agency side to move towards dynamic creative due to production costs being decreased? I don't think it's as much about production cost. I think it's just uh, it's just basic human nature. I see it myself. It's basic new human nature of working with the mediums that you're most comfortable with. That's the one thing. And also tending towards the mediums which best show your work. So agencies will tend to lean, lead with TV because that's the language the most senior creatives in the business understand best. It's what they're most comfortable with. But also, let's face it, TV's a, it's a great medium. I mean, film is like the best medium to tell a story in. So that's the problem. It's not, and it's, it's, there is a, there is a very deep reluctance to it, but it's, and the, the problem with that reluctance is it's, it's, it's based on a human need, which is comfort. So it's really hard to break. Um, it's a really hard habit to break. It takes literally the entire agency making a pact with itself that it will, it will, you know, not lead with the traditional, oh, we're appropriate, but not lead with the traditional formats. Um, and it's a hard thing to do. I mean, I've, I've, I see it a lot. Okay, so the big question back to you is, is that not also due to uh, being led by media first and then creative as to follow? Um, look, I think that's a problem. I have like an innate problem with that, but maybe it's, a, you know, part of it, look, I'm on the agency side as well. But I think, you know, for, for me, to to be honest with you, I I, it's not that I prefer creatively led. I think that the best, the best kind of scenario I've ever worked in is when media and creative are partnered together. So media strategy and creative form a partnership, and they they work and they plan together. So that and they brainstorm together. So like while creative is brainstorming an idea, they say you know okay we want to do flying pizzas, and media is like, oh actually you know what there's a great Media, there's a great sort of media opportunity to do that here and you can leverage in this way and this way and this. So that you kind of get the best of all worlds and, you know, strategy is obviously involved in that as well and sense checking the idea. And what you end up with is a creative cut through idea that has media innovation in it. And I know personally, like one of the things, so cut through creative, like a cut through creative idea makes your makes your it, it improves your ROI dramatically. I mean there's tons of data to prove this from IB UK and Google. I mean they say up to 70% improvement improvement in ROI. But what I also know as well is from past experience, some of the best ROI campaigns I've ever had is when we've used media in a new way. Because people aren't used to seeing that. They haven't learned to filter it out yet, right? So I've had like ridiculously high ROI when I've used something as like benign as, I don't know, back in the day, MMS in a completely different way to everyone else, you literally have an ROI in thousands of percent because people just aren't using, used to seeing it. So it stops them in their tracks. And the way you get to that is, is by combining the media and the creative all together. Um, the problem is when creative is, is, the, is the kind of lead on it. And it, it's kind of, there's differences here, right? So there's better creative agents, there's better media agencies out there that can that understand the creative process 
But often what happens is is what media when media buys first, they literally box the creative into a, a very specific space. That's and it becomes it's not difficult to come up with a well, it is actually hard to come up with a cut through idea. But because they're boxed into such a specific space, it means that they can't play and they can't experiment on new channels and, and things like that. And it, it is quite limiting. And I think it's to the detriment of the brand, um, quite honestly. So, so the, yeah, yeah, but the question is, how do you break the cycle? Who's, who's going to make the change? Well, I think there are, I mean, it's it's kind of, I actually think, in my mind, if you're a mature media agency and you're a mature agency, and this is kind of, you know, <laughs> love and peace and happiness, um, actually it's up to you to get together around a table and talk about the work and what's going to make it better and what's going to be better for both of you, um, better for your relationship. Because the last thing a client wants is two suppliers at, at odds with each other. A client wants like a holistic, unified experience. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that it's up to the media agency and the advertising agency to get around the table together, figure out what works best for the two of you and how to best collaborate on it, where to put people together, how you work out that process, and then take that to the client and say, listen, we've got this way of working, which is going to result, it's going to be a more seamless experience for you. It's going to result in better cut-through work, which is going to result in better ROI. You know, there's... Very few clients are going to turn around and say, "Oh, no, actually, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want a more seamless experience or a bit of ROI." Well, I have so, to agree with you because I mean, we both of us have seen this done in 2018, and it worked fantastically yeah. well. Where both agencies and client worked together, sat around the table, and had open discussions. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Audrey, I mean, that example was like on the biggest, I think it's still the biggest digital campaign in this country, this, this, actually the continent's history. What what happened in that scenario, which was really interesting to me as well, is that like from the get-go, there was an agreement with all parties just to work together as, seamless as, as seamlessly as possible. And and it, it and because we had a very compressed amount of time. The other really interesting thing, though, is that we were also given permission to to, to rip away all the red tape, which was... I think helped as well, you know, so we, we worked so closely with you guys and with media, we, and, and our, the way we did approvals and all that kind of stuff was, was literally felt like we were all working in a, in the, in the same room together with the, absolutely we had the same goal as well. But I think there's a lesson in that is that you can get tripped up by the regimen and the red tape and stuff like that. And it can create artificial divisions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess uh, people need to be aware of it when they're going through the process in order for it to work. Mm -hmm. It it's just depends on the client and the agencies involved, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, I'm lucky to have clients and have had clients who have had that experience. Um, so I know what it, I know how good it can be and how good the work can be out of it. Yeah, um, and for I, me, it's, it's, it's set a benchmark of how, how I want to – it set a benchmark because the results were so good, right? So that's, you know, and something that I try and replicate, actually, a model I try and replicate as much as possible. 
Yeah, I mean, you already have the discipline of doing so. No wonder it works in your uh, area. I just want to touch on measurement because a lot of people talk about the ROI value of media, Mm. but no one actually talks about the ROI value of creative. Can you just maybe tell our listeners more about how would you look at ROI within creative? So I think the the interesting thing about our agency and what we do is that almost all of the work that we're putting out is has a, has a creative idea behind it, right? So it's kind of difficult um, to say, okay, well, you know, when, when work doesn't have a creative idea around it or behind it, because I mean, I work with, I mean, the closest thing that I work with in, in that regard is, is programmatic and, um, and search. Okay. Um, where it's kind of like the idea is, is that's probably a little bit at the back. Okay. I don't want to say that because it's not always true, but from the creative point of view, I mean, we have other tracking methods that, that um, will track the effectiveness of the creativity and that's generally um, through qualitative data. So we've got the measure on the one side, the quantitative data basically is telling us, and we've built some really good platforms for this. <clears throat> so like in social media, we'll actually be tracking individual posts and videos and things like that to assess the RR on those individual elements. And it makes it quite easy to look at that work and say, okay, look, you know what we're doing there? In that one, we've just got a retail offer. The performance is not as good. But in that one, we're starting off with a you know, really great cut-through message. And we're seeing longer engagements and we're seeing a better conversion on it. So, you know, in order, you know, obviously we can't analyze every single piece. So we'll normally take sort of the top 10 performers, the middle 10 performers and the bottom 10 performers and kind of do a post analysis on them. And it is kind of a qualitative thing. And then we've got all these backup measures as well to sort of see if we're establishing the the memory pathways that you referred to in the beginning in the work as well. If people are remembering the work, how well they're remembering it, how well they're associating it to the brand, all that kind of stuff. Um, And those all combined become our measures of the effectiveness of the creative. I think ROI is a bit of a tricky, like ROI is is kind of the wrong term to use. I'm using it like as a blanket term, like I would use conversion as well, because there are so many of these things. But um, also, you know, we have to, we we, we do, like the reason ROI is a bad word is because we do also assess it against, um, a variety of other factors as well. But I think the the maximum amount of impact when you talk about ROI should be when you start to look at the media and creative in combination and what was the effect of both in terms of the end goal. So if you are driving conversions or performance, how do you, you can actually look at the ROI at the end of the day because it can't be the the function of media to drive the conversion it has to be media plus creative to drive the conversion. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm actually, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, cause the problem for me is it's all one thing in my brain, right? So okay. when I look at a dashboard, um, because I'm looking at the results next to the visual thing. So like video, like in socials, like, like a, a good example, um, I'm looking at the engagement rates and the stickiness of the, the thing in from a from the view of data at the same time as I'm looking at the creative as well. So I'm assessing both. 
I'm not saying, oh, it's all the media's job <clears throat> or it's all the creative's yes. job. Yeah. That's that's a that's a big mistake. I think looking at a table of data and using that to judge your work is is not a great idea. Um, you have to have to have to look at the message and how how it looks, and that's how we've built our dashboarding now. It's 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 built like that. It's built so that you see both at the same time. Yeah. So I was going to say that yes, having a dashboard and creating transparency around this, it's something that wasn't done in the past. So it is going to make an an incremental difference right now, but a massive impact in the future. Yeah. Look, I mean, we also are moving again, you know, I keep on talking about AI and stuff like that, but I think we are, we're now kind of entering the, the third age of, of kind of data properly. We, we're, you know, because the dashboards, so dashboard, the tricky thing about dashboards is, is there's just so much data. And what we keep on doing is we keep on rebuilding our dashboards to refine the kind of data that you see visually. And we've just done it recently again, where, you know, we've simplified the dashboards yet again because you've got to be able to digest so much data. And we're getting into this third age now where I think I, I do start, I'm starting to see signs of, of, you know, recommendation engines working really nicely. I saw one the other day where it's like you're putting in a data set, you're building a dashboard, but you've also got the overlay of a recommendation engine telling you what's working and what isn't. Um, so, so I think that's like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a fantastic evolution. It's going to help marketers a lot. I just want to say as well, look, it's not easy to build a dashboard. It, it really isn't. And it actually is. Um, it's not a, it depends on what tools you use. It's not, but it's, it's never a cheap exercise. Um, you know, there are ways of doing it more cost effectively, but if you want to truly, um, useful dashboard that's going to give you a steer in your with your your marketing and your brand and actually save you money you need to like invest a bit in that and not every client can afford to do that right now tech is costly yeah it is but i mean look you've got to look at it long term which yes. is what savings are you going to derive from this thing the other thing with dashboards as well is that you do you you can't it's not a, it's not a build once and then forget it's like you do need to kind of over time evolve them as channels evolve, as things, you know, change and things like that. Absolutely. So, Antonio, in closing, what would you like to leave our listeners with? There's three things. I think the the first thing is just about the simplification. I think there's a lot of hype in the market. And, and where you have to look at where your sources of the hype are coming from. Most of them are coming out from overseas when they talk about big channels and stuff and, you know, what's hot and what's not. You need to look at South African data against that because I think it's quite it's quite eye-opening and there's some good data out there actually that's freely available. You know, Global Web Index publishes through the We Are Social. There's the recent Maps Wave data. There's TAMS. I think what you need to do as a marketer is have a look at that data and say, okay, let's take away the hype lens. What are actual, what are people actually doing? And that leads into the simplification thing. I think for now. We need to focus, you know, we need to simplify our marketing ecosystems and tailor make them for our specific businesses. And I'm not saying you've got to go with like cookie cutter medium and stuff like that, but try and reduce down the elements you use and try and be more impactful on those things. So really where we're moving towards is there is so much clutter out there. I mean, so everybody's experience of the world right now is just, uh, you know, bombardment with media. It's, it's become 
it's no longer a race of how much content you can get out there. It's, it's, it's become a race of quality. How good can you make that work? How cut through can you make that work? And so simplify your media channels and probably reduce the amount of creative you're putting up, but give the creatives more time to make it cut through and resonant and that kind of stuff, because it's going to give you more value and it's going to give you more stickiness with the customer. And then I think the third thing is around, it's around uh, automation really. Um, And this is more to the industry is that we kind of all have to get together and figure out a way to bring automation in into agencies because the big challenge for agencies and Audrey and I, we, I mean, we joke about this often, but you know, if I'm an agency automation, because I'm an hours based business doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm. So if I'm going to start automating um, a repetitive task, like a banner suite, and I'm going to reduce the amount of hours it takes to produce that down from 12 hours to one, because I'm using automation, that's actually a financial loss for me. And I think agencies and businesses really need to get together on this one and work out what the glide path is um, to that because it's 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 a, it's a really it's the only way it's going to make sense for agencies. Um, so I think that automation thing and how we bring that into agencies and how we how we nurture it because we have to um, is something that needs to be agreed upon between clients and agencies. But I think as a collective. Maybe it's wishful thinking and I'm just being a hippie. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done between agency and client to build this partnership together in order to prepare for the future because digital marketing is only going to get more complex as we move along. So thank you so much, Antonio, for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, it's no problem. I hope it was useful and I hope people listening get some use out of it. Well, I certainly did. I'm sure they will too. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at talkdigitalza. Engage us on our website at talkdigitalza.co.za. And who knows? You could be featuring on the next one. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.